Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Brilliant. So good. Good to see you all. It's good to be here. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, well, some sad news today as well. Anne, we lost Anne. You Pritchard on Friday night. Anne went home to be with the Lord. And the uh, funeral will be here tomorrow at 2.30. Um, so that was sad for us. And um, yeah, so let's pray. Keep praying for Charles. You know, he desperately needs our prayers, comfort. Um, a time of loss. So um, let's just take a minute and pray for him now. Can we do that? Father, we want to lift Charles to you. Father, we want to thank you for him. I want to thank you for Anne and him and their life of ministry together over the last uh, 27 years. We thank you for them. And God, we pray that you would bless him today, Father, as he mourns the loss of his, uh, his friend and lover and spouse. God, I pray that you would comfort him as only you can do. And indeed, tomorrow as he lays her body to rest, Father, we just pray that you would be with him and be all to him that he needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, thank you for that. Um, Keep praying for him. Um, It's been a funny week. Um, I found it a funny week. I feel like... um, I don't know whether you feel like you're just climbing uphill all the time. I know I'm fighting a really bad old cold, which hasn't helped either, but, um, but uh, I just feel like there's a battle. It feels like we're in a battle, and it feels like a, a spiritual weight. And um, so it, it seems a, a quite appropriate time to be talking on the subject of prayer and worship, which is our first um, practice that we've started to look at. And so We've decided to do this under the banner of following Jesus in all of life because these are the things, obviously, that Jesus practiced. And so if we're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, we need to do the works that Jesus did. That's what John tells us in his little epistle in um, 1 John 2. And so it's really important that we do that. I think it's 1 John 2, 6. And so it's really important that we do that. And, and so in the, in the Christian life, there are some spiritual rhythms that are timeless, and prayer and worship, these six, we believe, are timeless. They're timeless, and they're spiritual rhythms that we need to, if we're going to live this spiritual life, we need to get into our daily schedules, and we need to write them in and pen. They need to be marked as something we live by, triggers that, that, that govern our life, that are not just whims that we do when we feel like it. Um, it has to be more than that. And so last week, we sort of looked at the survey a little bit, and we looked at how 70% of the people of you who completed the survey said that you didn't actually have a set place and time. And my challenge to you for the month of October, we talked about sober October, and um, my challenge to you for October was that you would set aside a place and time. Thank you for your emails and little WhatsApps of pictures of that place. And some of the profound 
um, things that um, some of you have told me that have already happened in the short week that's passed, and so it's really important because these rhythms will keep you in step with God, you see, and that's why it's so, so important. They'll keep you in step with God, and if you can build them into your daily life, then they will change you because prayer doesn't just change things. Prayer changes you. Sometimes we say, well, prayer changes things. Well, it doesn't really at times. It changes you, and that's what changes the things, and it changes something inside of you. The old preachers, um, the old brethren preachers would say this. They would say, little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. So if you wonder why there's no power in your life, then you need to check your prayer life. And you need to ask yourself this question, is your prayer life a, a rhythm or is it a crisis reaction? Is your prayer life a rhythm of your life or is it a crisis reaction? Again, the old brethren preachers used to say, don't use God like a fire escape or a lifeboat, sort of the last port of call that we do. And so there's something like, if it's just crisis reaction, it's like trying to adapt to get into a suit three days before the event. Like it's, you know, it's not really going to happen. And if it's going to happen, it's not really that natural. Um, and so prayer is not just about dropping something off. Prayer is about picking something up. Prayer is about picking up the heart of God. It's about picking up the, what God is doing, even in our society. And so sometimes what we do is we try to, we, if, if, if it's too difficult to reach to God, what we try to do then is we try to replace Him. We try to replace God with something more accessible. This is what the children of Israel did when Moses went up the mountain and, they, and, and didn't come back for 40 days, and they decided, this is too difficult. Let's replace Him with something that's more accessible. And so they cried out and they reached for their gold. <laughs> something that was handy, something that was close by them because they'd come out of Egypt with loads of gold and loads of silver. And so what they do, what they did was they tried to replace God. And so we can't replace them. Some of us try to run away from God. I've been doing the Father Heart in our Ignite over three nights. And, uh, tomorrow night's the, the third night of this, doing the, the Father, the younger son, and the elder brother, and last week I did the younger son who ran away. And the tendency is when we sin, we run away from God, and, but the truth is we should actually be running to God. So we either replace God or we run away for God, or then some of us as good Christians, what we do is we try to perform for God. So we either we replace Him, something more accessible, we run away from Him, or we actually try to perform for Him. And we think, well, if we, we, we sort of see God like the schoolmaster God, we keep the rules and He loves us. We break the rules and we get, we get targeted. And so this, if, if I have good behavior, God will love me more and He will pay me for my good behavior. You see, it's only worship that brings God's favor. It's worship that brings God's favor. It's not about what you do. It's about what He has done. And so your behavior won't get the attention of heaven, but your worship will. Your behavior won't get the attention of heaven, but your worship will. And so, what do I, I need to realize this, that he can't be replaced, he can't be run from, he can't be performed for. Um, and so, we've got to figure out a bit like what happens when Black Friday meets Good Friday. What happens when the, the scarcity of this world meets the sufficiency of Christ? 
there's something very powerful happens, and I realize that there's no one like my God, that there's no one like Him. He's a great high priest who I can come boldly before and rest in, so I don't replace Him. I don't run from Him. I don't perform for Him. Actually, we rest in Him. And that's what we do when we get into prayer and worship and when we get into a lifestyle. And so we know that we can come to Him with failure in tow. We can come to Him with all our messed up stuff uh, because He has finished the work. And we can confess it in truth as to where we stand before Him. Now, we're going to read in Luke chapter 11, if you've got your Bible. Um, I have two Bibles, so you're in for it today. So... Um, I'm going to read out in the NIV, um, Luke, Luke 11, um, on the first 13 verses, Luke 11. If you've got a Bible, look it up, or a, a, a got it on a, an app, it would be good to follow along. Um, verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then he said to them, when you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said this to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door's already locked and my children and I are bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yes, yet because of your shameless audacity, <laughs> shameless audacity, isn't that amazing? He, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So even though he's your friend and you keep asking and asking, eventually he's just going to get tired and say, he is not going to go away. He's just shameless in his audacity to ask. And so the only way to get rid of him is to give him the bread. So he says this. He says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door, it will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead, or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to unpack this word, and Lord, reveal it to us, reveal truth to us from what we pray in Jesus' name. In kids' ministry, those of you who have kids, they will be following this little acronym um, that is on the screen. It's called PRAY, and it's come, coming out of uh, Pete Gregg's book. If you haven't got that book, it's worth getting. It's just How to Pray, simple book on how to pray. It's a really, really good read. I read it recently, Pete Gregg, How to Pray. And um, in his book, he brings this little acronym that the kids are actually working through this as well. So his idea is that, first of all, when we come to pray, we should pause. It's interesting because prayer is intimacy with God. This is the Eden mandate. This is where God comes down in the cool of the day, and Adam pauses from all his activity just to commune with God. This is a beautiful thing. And, and, and it's just 
thing that, remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where Romans 8, where Paul actually introduces it after the Holy Spirit has left and went back, or, or Jesus has left and went back to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come. Paul, actually, in Romans 8, actually introduces the fact yet again that we can call him Abba, Father, that we can come right into the presence and call him by this intimate term that the Jewish leaders of that day would have thought, you couldn't do that. This was Yahweh. And he said, no, 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 we can call him Abba. We can come into this sort of family framework by entering into conversation with God. And Jesus modeled this life of intimacy with the Father. He modeled this sort of pause principle where he would go out and he would spend time with the Father. He wasn't dropping off a list all right, he was just communing. He was spending time. He was pausing with the Father. And remember, after he was baptized, we talked about this, that the Father, heavens opened, and the voice of the Father came and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So the journey of prayer is learning about pausing, how to abide in the presence. There's a great chapter in John 15 all about that that actually um, teaches you all about abiding. And then the second one is rejoice um, in, in the pray. And so the intimacy with God is, so you start off with our Father. That's a, sort of the pause bit, isn't it? Oh, family, our Father, my Father. That's the pause bit. And then it goes from rest to sort of adoration. It lifts from stillness to wonder. And we, we, we cry, hallowed be your name. This is who God is. We pour out our love and our affection in Jesus, and we praise Him because worship is the most natural and, and a response to seeing Jesus. So, and prayer and worship flow together. They're an intercession, and they shouldn't be separated. They shouldn't be put into different compartments because prayer and worship are we are intercession. So they're very, very powerful. If you come to our prayer meetings, you would know that they're laced with worship, where we find that's our intercession, where we move into that realm. Um, in the heavenlies. And then the ask is simply um, it means bringing our request to him. You know, our cares, our concerns, our heart, give us this day our daily bread. So you're actually asking, and, 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 and it, you, I think it's John Wesley who said that, that prayer means getting involved. He says that's where the action is. So prayer involves getting involved, and so we need to do that. And so we come in, into communion with God. We worship Him for who He is, and we partner, and we bring our intercession to Him, and we learn how to mature in that for things. We learn how to pray, not just dropping off our list, as I say, but how to pray through things. And some of us actually need to realize that because sometimes our prayer life can be a bit like this, where we come to God with our burden, and we said, God, God, I'm here, and I'm presenting this burden to you today, and God, I'm, I'm asking you that you would work through this, and you would deal with this in Jesus' name, amen. And then we pick our burden, and we head off with it, and we carry it about, and then sometimes what we do is we actually invite people to pray and carry our burden with us, and we end up praying over the same thing over and over and over again, and we just keep carrying it about and carrying it about. And so what we need to learn in this is we need to learn how to pray through, how to leave things and how to move forward. And that means hearing God, which is really, really important. And so the last one is this one, yield. Because uh, prayer starts and finishes with surrender. And there's something about surrender. So it's, um, we open up the clenched fist in this one. 
So we're not holding anything back. We're coming before the Father and we're opening up our clenched fists to his presence to yield to his purposes in and through our lives. Uh, and, and we actually then become the answer to our own prayers. It's a beautiful thing. And we yield to him. We ask for forgiveness of sins. We say, God, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And Jesus shows the ultimate yielding, of course, to the Father, doesn't he, in the garden when he said, Father, not my will but yours. He's yielding to the Father's Well, This is the prayer of uh, uh, relinquishing everything over to God. And it's the highest form of prayer and worship where you just say, God, it's, it's over to you. And on Wednesday night in intensive care in the city hospital, I was in to pray with her, and she said to me, she said to me, Phil, it's win-win. And I said, what do you mean, Anne? And she goes, well, if God heals me, I win. And if God takes me home, I win. So I can't lose. It was the last words she spoke to me. She says, I can't lose. And so there's something about this. There's something, this yielding. And what was she doing? She was yielding. She was saying, God, whatever you want, I'm yielding my will to you. It's a prayer of relinquishing all of our rights over to God. I came in this quote from um, uh, G.K. Chesterton, who I, I love his stuff, and he said this. I thought this was really interesting. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting as much as it has been found difficult and left untried. It's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting statement, isn't it? It's a pretty interesting statement. And so living the Christian life, living what I've just talked to you about, it's not easy. This is not simple. It's not easy just to live that life out for God. It's going to take commitment. It's going to, so, so, and, and we live in a day where we lead people to Jesus far too easy. It's not just praying a sinner's prayer. It's not just, come on, you believe, so you're in. It's not a club you join. It's a commitment. It's a lifestyle. It's going to cost you everything. To follow Jesus will cost you everything. It's the highest call. And so what some people do is they just find it too difficult, and they, 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 they walk away. This is what the rich young ruler done. He just, he, he, the cost was too much. And so this is, if we're going to do what God has called us to do, then there is a standard that we must keep. Now, I want, to, I want to give you three things that I think you lose when, you, when prayer and worship become void in your life, and then I want to give you three things that you gain that when, whenever prayer and worship are part of your life. So firstly, when prayer and worship is void in your life, three things I think happen. The first thing is, I think we lose our standards. I, I see this all the time. I see that people are going well, things are really good, and then things begin to slip. Now, it's not all about attendance to meetings, but it is important. There's something about, there's something about being committed to church because we live in a society, um, we live in a society where choice actually kills commitment. Choice kills commitment. Now, if, if, if I came home from Sunday school as a boy and told my mom or dad I didn't like Sunday school, well, some of you are laughing, but it's true. You would have got a clip in the ear and told, you know, wash your mouth out. That's basically something like what I had been told. What happens now? Our kids come home and say, we don't like Sunday school, and say, well, you don't have to go. 
You can try another Sunday school. And there's another church and there's another place. And so what happens is choice kills commitment. And we live in a world where there's so much choice. And what happens then, people's standards begin to fall and we open the floodgates of anything goes. And I hear people ask the silliest of questions because they have lost the practice of prayer and worship. And when you lose the practice of prayer and worship in your individual life and in your corporate life together, our standards begin to slip. The second thing I think we lose is we lose our purpose. Mind deep enough in every heart and you'll find a reason for their existence, the longing for meaning, a quest for purpose, and as surely as a child breathes, someday, someday they will wonder, what is the purpose of my life? All of us need purpose. And I think when we when, when what happens is we become just a wandering generality. We become like the, the, the children in the wilderness who just wandered about. Actually, if you plot their course, they went around the bottom of a mountain for 38 and a half years, probably near 39, before they headed to the right place. They just wandered round and round and round. And God took them on that journey because He had to weed out some, some stuff. And so what happens is they, they lost their purpose. They lost what was an 11-week journey. It took them 40 years because God had to deal with the stuff in their midst. And so I don't want us to be wondering. There is stuff to be done. There is definitely stuff happening. There is a sense of a move of God in our midst. I sense that like never before. There's a battle to be fought. Those who, who are intercessors in the place will know that. They will sense that when God arises, His enemies can be scattered, but His enemies will arise too. And so there's a battle to be fought. And so we need to do this, and we need to be careful that we don't lose our standard, we don't lose our purpose, and we don't lose our worship. This is so important. Uh, when I say lose your worship, I'm not just talking about singing songs. I'm talking about the way we live. You see, because worship is a lifestyle. Worship is, is, a, is a characteristic of who you are. There's, a, there's an interesting verse in Romans 1, 21, a couple of verses that um, out of the message. Let, let, let me put this on the screen and read through it here really quickly. He says, what happened was this. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds a whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. It's pretty tough stuff, isn't it? Whenever we lose our worship, what are you putting first in your life? What is, what is the priority in your life? Remember um, Matthew eleven thirty three. 33, seek first the kingdom of God. David said this. He said, this one thing I will ask of the Lord, this one thing I will ask of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's your one thing? What are you seeking first? Because this is important. These are, these are powerful days. If you're watching the same news as I'm watching, the world is changing around us at a fast pace of knots. The world as we know it and our cushy Western civilization could be going up the Swanee. It could be a very different world in five years from now for us in the West. 
And so we've got to understand that we need to get our priorities right because when prayer and worship are in the believer's life, something begins to change. And if it's not in the life, then we lose our standard, we lose our purpose, and we lose the active characteristic of how we live. But when they are in our lives, let me show you this really quickly. When they are in our lives, just all out of this one or a couple of verses in Romans 5, we have peace with God. I love this passage. It says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. You know what? There's something about peace with God. And the enemy loves to, he loves to challenge the fact of, of your peace. He will steal your peace. That's what he does all the time. He, he, he replaces it with sin, with shame, with guilt, with condemnation. You're not good enough. You're not up to scratch. You're not performing well enough for God. Over and over and go, and he just kill your peace. I, Max Licato writes the story of the two monks who went into the city and they left their abbey and they went into the city to do business and they stayed a night and they separated and they stayed the night in the city and then they had to meet up the next day to come back to the abbey. And the old monk met with a young monk and um, realized there was something wrong. He had grown silent and was, was hanging back a bit, didn't want to walk beside the old monk. And so the old monk asked him, he said, son, what has went on? Tell me what happened last night. He got a bit defensive and sort of fought back a little bit and then declared that he had fell into immorality and had slept with a prostitute in the city. And... Um, and he said, I just don't feel worthy to walk beside you. Don't feel worthy to go back into the abbey. And um, the old monk said this. The old monk says, here's what we do. He says, uh, we will enter the abbey together. We will enter the cathedral together. And together we will confess your sin. And no one but God will know which one of us fell. Beautiful, isn't it? You see, Secrecy of our sin is the enemy's biggest weapon. And, when that, and this happens in, in an instance, and the enemy comes and he tries to, to, to rob your peace, to take you out of a place of peace with God, and he gives you all this angst. He gives you anxiety. We're living in a world that's riddled with anxiety. He gives you all of this so he can take away your peace. Here's what he says in, um, when, when, when David wrote Psalm 32... Psalm 32 was written after he sinned with Bathsheba. And for one whole year, he hid his sin. And then he was confronted by a prophet called Nathan who, who called him out and he confessed his sin. Here's what he wrote. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He says, whenever I kept silent, it, it actually started to affect my body. It wasn't just my mind. It actually started to make me sick. started to feel ill within myself. He said, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Now pause and think about that. And so the enemy would love us to get into this whole secrecy and, 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 and take us away from the idea that 
Um, Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that, that he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we may have peace. He was whipped that we might have be healed in new life translation of the Bible puts it. And so this idea that, 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 that the enemy would try to rob your peace is a very powerful thing. And what I'd love you to do right now, all right, our prayer ministry team's at the back. And after the service is over, if you have lost your peace, I would love you to take 15 seconds now. I'm going to stay quiet for 15 seconds. And I would love you to think of what's robbing your peace. And then I'd love you to take it to them after the service and ask them to pray that God restores your peace. Can you do that? Close your eyes. 15 seconds. The writer to the book of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, throw aside every sin. The sins that so easily, it's not the big, big things, but it's the wee things. You know the wee things that just trip you up all the time. And it's happened before, and it happens again. And you've asked forgiveness for it a thousand times. The writer of the Hebrews understood it. He said, throw away the sins that so easily trip you up. It's the little things. And then he says this. He says on the screen, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down in the right hand of God. Stop looking at your sin and start looking at Jesus. And the enemy wants to pull you into secrecy. He wants to kill your peace with God. Here's the second thing. When, when, when prayer and worship are in your life, you have peace with God. When prayer and worship are in your life, you have a place with God. Look at that there. He says, in which we now stand. Please note the word now. I didn't add it. It's there. It's in the Bible. All right. Where you now stand. It's, it's ushered into God's presence. This is the Greek rendering of this has been ushered into the presence of royalty. This is the place that we have. Now, now here we're going for number three and we're going to finish in this. Note the sequence. Peace with God has to do with our past. All pardoned, sins forgiven. All right. Place with God is our standing now. And you've guessed that number three will be future. So past, present, and future all sorted out. That's placed with God, deals with our present because we've got, a, we've got Jesus who is our mediator and our intercessor who stands before the Father. And here we have the third one where we participate in his glory. Look at this here. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Gained access. That's given a right. That's got the key to something. You're allowed into something that's bigger than any of you ever imagined. Now, some of you who are a little bit older in the room, I finish with this story, will remember Derek Bingham. Derek was a speaker and author, died a number of years ago. But when I was about 11 or 12, Derek actually, as a young man, came to teach English in Lurgan College. And um, he, uh, he, he lived in Newcastle with his mother, Ruth. His dad, Fred, had died years before, but Ruth was a lady, and um, rather than travel up and down to Newcastle every day, Derek came to live with us, friend of our family, and he came to live with us, and so um, he lived with us all week, 
He was desperate for losing keys of the door, would climb through the window at night and all of that sort of stuff. But, um, and he became a bit of a legend for me and a bit of a hero. And I preached with him up and down the country, traveled with him to Scotland and to England. We were preaching. We did, we did four Sunday nights in Belly Hackamore. On the second Sunday night, a bomb went off and all the windows come in. That's some preaching. And um, so uh, that was back during the troubles. And so it's fun memories. But when my sister Patricia got engaged to be married, we sort of have a bit of a family tradition. There's six boys and a girl in our family, and the girl's right in the middle. And so there was always fun times at home. So when Patricia got, got engaged, you, you know, you did something to people who did that back then. Maybe don't do that as much now, but you did something. like So what we decided to do was throw Patricia in the bath. Closing all, obviously. And so we, we threw her in the bath. And with a bit of fun, and everybody laughed about this. And Derek thought this was hilarious. He loved this. He thought this was funny. But a few weeks later, Derek got engaged to Margaret. Now, Derek is now part of our family. So he participates in our glory. All right? So, um, so you guessed it. As part of our family, we filled the bath with cold water and fired Derek into the bath. The problem was Derek had a suit, shirt, and tie on, all right, which he needed for the next morning for a lecture. My poor mom, God love her, she had to get his suit. How she did that, I don't know. It wasn't dryers or anything then, but had to get his suit and his shirt and all sorted out for him for the next morning. I know it's a funny story, but when it comes to family, we participate in things together. When it comes to the family of God, we get to participate in all of heaven. The Bible calls us heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We get to participate in their glory. Now, Johnny's going to come and finish us with a song. Um, and as we do that, let me put this, this verse on, on the screen. This, this is the verse, the, the prelude to this verse is in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's where Paul actually says, if the rulers of this world had have known, if the rulers of this world had have known what was going to happen, if the rulers of this world would have known, um, they, would, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he goes on to say this. In the context, what he's saying is, if all the demons of hell knew what you were about to get into, they would have leveled every tree in Palestine. They wouldn't have found a tree to hang them on. If the rulers of this world had have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But he says, what no eye has seen, and what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived with all their brain power that runs through this world today, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. That is, that is as good as you're going to get. You're not going to buy that in any shop. You're not going to get that in any counseling room. This is the glory of God. And as family, we get to participate in all that's going on. Close your eyes with me a minute. Participators of his glory. Peace with God. Place with God. Father, there are those in this room right now who have lost their peace. There are those in this room right now, Father, who have forgot where they're standing. And there are those in this room who just 
haven't actually contemplated the glory that they bought into. And today is a fresh revelation of heaven to say, this is what we get. This is what we get when we put prayer and worship into our daily calendar. <laughs> this is what we get when we connect into the heavenlies through prayer and worship. We get to participate in the glory of heaven. So God, as we sing this last song and we worship, pray God that you would stir our hearts in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Let's worship and say a short prayer. Time's over. Tea and toast will be served. Our prayer ministry team will be down at the back. If God has revealed something to you, we hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk. And I would love you to go there and drop it off. Allow our prayer ministry team to pray for you. Thanks, Johnny.